to the Optimistic Voices podcast. I am your host, Yasmin Vaughn. You may recall a few weeks ago, I did an episode with Mariama Masakoy to talk about global health programs ahead of our Rising Tides 2023 Together for Global Health Conference, which was held in Washington, D.C. on March 3rd through 4th of this year. In today's episode, we will be following up on that conversation by discussing themes from Rising Tides. In each session, our speakers shared a wealth of information on sustainable practices to care for the most vulnerable, community participatory practices, and international partnerships to train local communities. Their presentations focused on different ways that organizations can contribute to building a strong healthcare system. So today, we're going to talk about different themes from that conference. And with me to talk about this is our conference support intern, Tanatswa Sambana. Tanatswa, or T as we call him, is a Master of Public Health candidate at the George Washington University Milken Institute School of Public Health. He is interested in utilizing data-driven approaches to positively impact social determinants of health on a national and global level. T is passionate about reducing disparities and improving community and global health outcomes. He is skilled in policy analysis, monitoring and evaluation, project management, and can use and implement design thinking methodologies. T, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. We're so glad to. So first, T, I want to ask you, what did you think of the Rising Tides Conference? In a nutshell, the conference was amazing. But for me, I've been to plenty of conferences that have left me feeling confused and misinformed, and they lacked a welcoming atmosphere. The Rising Tides Conference was intimate and welcoming. Everyone had an opportunity to talk to all the speakers and the attendees, and I was able to get more information get more and knowledge, knowledge and contacts within just the first session of the conference. Great. I'm so glad that you enjoyed it. We were really glad to have you as our support intern. So today I want to talk about this theme of empowerment and how empowering leaders at all levels of healthcare systems are key to any global health program. Each of our speakers touched on some aspect of this topic during the conference. And Dr. Henry Mosley, Professor Emeritus at Johns Hopkins University, gave our opening session presentation on leadership. And I want you guys to listen to a clip of that here today. Sitting around the table, and I'm sure out there uh, on the internet, are leaders. And the reason you are leaders is because you have been inspired by different people in your lifetime. Uh, I wonder if you could see some people say, who inspired them? Was it their parents? Was it a teacher, a third grade teacher? Was it the university faculty? Was it a colleague? Was it a priest? And somebody say, who really made a difference in their lives? Everyone is a leader. Everybody is a leader. You are leaders, not only in the position you have, but as a parent, you're leading your children, or as a colleague, or as a teacher. Everybody is a leader. You need leaders everywhere, but particularly in the front lines. And I want to give you an example of that. I don't know how many of you recognize pictures of smallpox. Have you ever seen a smallpox case? Probably not in your lifetime. I was involved with the eradication in Bangladesh back in the 1960s. But in any event, I want to tell you about the crucial point. This was a strategy. They took all the health workers to go out 
visit every village once a week and look for smallpox cases and vaccinate the contacts. Well, there was one worker who seemed to be very lazy because she always came back early, and yet she had a list of uh, smallpox cases and often had to attend there very early. And so they asked her, said, why are you finishing so quickly? And she said, oh, I'm not going to every village. I'm taking these pictures and I'm showing them to the elementary school students. And guess what? These kids from six to 12 know everything that's going on in their village. And the point is that uh, what you had, what she had was not a once a week surveillance system. She had an everyday surveillance system by, by persons who really knew what was going on in the village. This actually became the national strategy. A crucial point about her leadership capability is she mobilized other resources that existed in the village. She leveraged resources that existed in the village. She didn't just depend on herself. And this is a crucial point about leadership, leveraging resources. So I really love that smallpox example the organization that Dr. Mosley was working with trained that woman to recognize smallpox. And then she went on to train crucial members of her community. For me, I definitely enjoyed how he said everyone can be leaders. Uh, leaders make a difference in people's lives. So like he said, parents, teachers, even public health officials are just uh, a few examples of leaders. Um, leaders can inspire change in others. We need leaders at every level, uh, especially on the front lines, like uh, Dr. Mosley mentioned. Frontline leaders transform national programs. Leaders are innovators. They leverage resources that are available to implement aid or programs during crisis. So leaders are very important. Absolutely. And for those of you listening here today, you are a leader in some aspect of your life. The question is, what are you going to do to ensure that those that you are in leading are empowered to lead others and continue in the work that you're doing? We talked about this model of leadership again in our medical missions panel. And this session was focused on the value of medical missions and what works and what doesn't work when it comes to medical missions. I think the real value comes where you're building that capacity for them to do it themselves. And as Perry pointed out, after listening to them so that you understand what they already know. And it is that long-term view of capacity building um, where you recognize they bring more to the table than you do that I find particularly encouraging about working in the community. So I think you need to really focus on building capacity there. It's not about you. You can help out. But you really need to identify your champions overseas and have them do the work and empower them to do the work. And again, in the Congo, I have recruited a junior physician back to Brazzaville, a god virtue making more money so that we can build capacity to take care of patients. She's fluent in English, and my French is elementary. Uh, so I need somebody there who can speak both languages and it's fluent, but that's building capacity with me being involved on the board. I think that's very important. I think Mary and Dr. Taylor summarized that so well. 
Global health leadership requires us to listen and learn first, like Mary said, and then identify who can be a leader, a champion of the work that we're going to do on the ground. For me, it's with this conference, there was an uh, intertwining theme that I always noticed. So in this framework, uh, leaders have to understand that they have to use all the resources that they have. So it also leads into another talk that Dr. Kerr provided and builds on to uh, Mary and Dr. Taylor, where Dr. Kerr had provided a perfect example of capacity building. And this example, I found it interesting because it's how they use the nurses and doctors and how they were taught to perform a VIA, which is a form of screening for cervical cancer. Uh, the doctors and nurses continued their work uh, with the VIA since they were trained when the international aid was limited due to the Ebola outbreak. And most of the people during this time, I were able to continue with that aid and teach people to be able to handle the problem since there was limited aid. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up, T. This theme of capacity buildings through medical missions was echoed in this session hosted by Dr. Carroll. Those in the medical missions panel talked about being the outsider coming in, but Dr. Carroll was a member of a medical team sent to Sierra Leone by HCW, as well as being the director of hospital services in Grenada. So in her session, she talked about being both a giver and a receiver of medical missions. It is not about us coming in and doing. It was about us coming in, being incorporated and understanding what was needed. This now, because remember, we said we came down and did work and we're doing all the different things. This one is a switch where stop being bringing down pap smears to do the pap smears and do all this stuff was let's do VIA, which is another screening, but not us doing the VIA, teaching the nurses and the doctors. And this was the team that learned how to do VIA and continue with that. And this one is interesting because this was like in 2013, just before Ebola, because at that point we couldn't go back. And so they'll continue with that as well as taking all that we had and continued as opposed to global health providers coming in. We're not coming in because mm-hmm. yeah. we had to stay away. Yeah. And those who were there, even the physicians without borders, had to close their hospital because they had five physicians that died at their hospital. Mm-hmm. So it was Sir Leon, you take care of Sir Leon. And I'm going to go over another point now because there's also the other part of education. You're saying that education is still health because if you don't educate, how can you learn about your better health? And I wanted to talk about, because we keep talking about community health, and it's a medical specialty focusing on the physical and mental well-being of the people in a specific geographic region. And this important includes initiatives to help the community members maintain and improve their health, prevent the spread of infections, and prepare for natural disasters. So it's the help the community help itself. So it's also understanding what do we do to help support there as opposed to us bringing in, because we can't keep bringing. And now I'm going to go into Grenada. I arrived October, September 29th. I started work October 1st, and I was told Chinese art, the Chinese government is bringing in ARC, which is a huge ship that's going to come in and provide services to the people of Grenada, meaning doing operations on island and on the ship and doing all kinds of other services. So I was the person to greet them as part of them to say yes. And I'm going to attempt for that and say, there was a point when we sat with them. And if you know, these are all military. And there's a point where we're sitting with them to like talk about the process. And it was translated because everyone spoke Chinese and we spoke English. And the discussion was around 
will we get the reports in English? Mm-hmm. Um, the pathology reports, when do we get those back? Who could has having surgery? Mm-hmm. Are we going to see the... Re- so that was some of the discussion. I went with them. I was a leader to take them to Karakul. And they came in and did the services and provided medications in Chinese. Mm-hmm. Um, provided the services and provided a long point. And one of the things was I had to do a video of showing a saying that, that this was an excellent service that we had and people at Grenada appreciate it. So this is us coming in. And now the pool house was giving. The community, community in Brooklyn, from Caracol, from Grenada, et cetera, they were sitting down, walkers, et cetera. So we had the people. Cuba gives. Inova. Inova came in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We stayed there for a week, simulation, and taught the nurses. Valerie was also involved with that. Mm-hmm. And the doctors on a variety of different health services. Mm-hmm. So this was another one where they provided the service. Mm-hmm. I definitely appreciated Dr. Kale's antidotes that she was busy giving because it really hits on the theme that we're discussing about leadership and capacity building. Because unfortunately, there will be global health issues that will occur at the same time as another issue, for example, like Ebola outbreak or the COVID-19. The one thing that global health practitioners or leaders can do to make an impact in the area that they are trying to help is to make sure that when they leave, the people who have the tools, the skills and the knowledge to take care of themselves, because at the end of the day, these people who are coming in this country will not be able to spend that much time. They're just there to provide the aid. Absolutely. Yeah. When it comes to partnerships and an empowering partnership is one that allows for people to be able to adapt to change so that when the international aid leaves, they're able to continue with the work that they're doing. And I love that Dr. Carroll talks a bit about a lot of different people that have come to Grenada to provide services and how different each of those groups interacted within her country. Dr. Carroll will be doing another episode with us uh, soon on giving and receiving. So I hope you'll stay tuned to listen to that. And then on to another speaker. First, like we can, when it comes to developing interventions, it is important to ask the community what methods will work because an outsider might not know the limitations that the community has. So Dr. Nagesh talked about this in his closing session when he discussed having members of the HIV community engage in developing the program. I like how Dr. Nagesh talks about how it's not just about empowering on the ground providers of care, but also empowering the local community to make decisions that improve their health. And Dr. Carroll talked about this a little bit too when she was talking about health education, educating the community about their own health so that they feel empowered to take action for it, but also listening to the community and understanding their needs so that you can design programs that are community participatory and so that they're engaged in it. So in his example, we see that behavior, health behaviors are being used to influence the structure of a health system. We're asking local people with HIV what sort of programs would be beneficial to them and using that to build a system out of it. But we also have to remember that structures can be built to influence behavior 
And Dr. Mosley talked about this in his opening session as well. Structure influences behavior. You put people in an army, they march. You put people in an orchestra, they're in a structure where they play um, together. Structure influences behavior. Okay. For every health system, I'm talking about systems, I mean, is perfectly designed to produce the results. How many agree that this is a picture of a health system? Isn't it a health system? No water, no sewage, no electricity, no roads. The level of health in that community is dependent on the design of the health system. And our American health system is designed to have, what, 20 million Americans uninsured, inequitable care for the American population. It's designed that way. Point is, if we want to uh, improve and we want new results, we have to redesign the health system. But this gets to the question about what is the health system? I like that point that he brings up. Ah, it's not just empowering local workers and empowering local communities, but building a health system that meets people's needs. So after listening to the community, developing leaders and building capacity, our learning is not over. We have to evaluate what we are doing through research. And if you're a routine listener to our podcast, you'll know that we did an episode this year on research and child welfare. But Jason Paltzer from the Marrow Center spoke about global health research at the conference and how it can be done by small organizations and why that's important. Research can be a very intimidating topic. Um, we all have beliefs about what research is, and some may say, you know, this isn't for me. This is, that's done on, on an academic level. We don't, have, we don't have the bandwidth. We don't have the finances or the resources. We don't have the knowledge on how to even go about doing high-quality research. That's valid. Um, I just want to reframe it a little bit and, and, and help you see that research is storytelling. Research is, is stewardship. Um, it helps us use our resources more effectively, not just as an organization, but as the larger church, as the larger body of Christ working in this world uh, to try and make transformative impact. Research is important for us to become innovative and see something new that we did not see before that we have the opportunity to, to do, right? So the research helps us to see what necessary changes we need to make. That necessity breeds a space for creativity. Now it's important that your organization uh, kind of creates the space for creativity, that we can take some risks and try something new on, on very small pilot scale levels uh, where it's okay things don't work out um, because that's kind of the nature of innovation, right? So that's where this space um, that needs to be set apart from the engine uh, to be creative and accept that higher level of risk, uh, to think about how you can do that as an organization. How can you create that space apart from the main performance engine to allow you to be a little bit more innovative? And speaking on research, uh, one important aspect is to make sure you know the area or the community or people you are uh, researching about 
or trying to get information about. So that's why cultural awareness is essential in building systems and implementing programs. If organizations do not listen and are not aware of what the people in the culture are experiencing, there's a strong possibility that the aid or program implementation that they're trying to do uh, will not make an impact. It might make things or the situation even worse. It is important to know that research is a form of understanding the problem. It helps it identifying the target populations in effective programs and areas that are and areas that are improving. Whether it is quantitative or qualitative research, you need to know what you will be dealing with. Making effective change requires blinders to be removed, and research helps and research helps remove blinders that are not noticeable. I couldn't agree more, T. The more that we evaluate our programs and that we take this innovative approach of really, as you said, taking those blinders off and looking at what we're doing and using research as a method of doing that, the better that we're going to be able to tackle global health problems when we do that. And I want to add on to that, that when research is done, we go back to the community and share the information that we've learned. Now, you may recall that we did an episode last year talking with the Child Health and Mortality Prevention Surveillance Program, CHAMPS. And CHAMPS does research into the causes of death for children under five. Well, Carrie Jo did uh, another session with us at Rising Tides to talk more about the CHAMPS research, which you can listen to here. Carrie Jo's talk reviewed another side of research that is essential. Linking community to research is important because you need to know the communities or faces that will be affected by the research that is being conducted. It also helps in improving the quality of care. Absolutely, T. I love that the CHAMPS organization is dedicated to what they call data to action. It's not just about doing the research in a vacuum and getting all of these uh, pieces of data and information, but linking it, linking the community to resources, linking organizations to those in need, and sharing information to those who can benefit from the knowledge. So I think that uh, is a pretty good summary of all of our different sessions from Rising Tides T. So I want to end by asking you the question that we ask all of our podcast episode people, which is what keeps you optimistic or hopeful about your work? For me, I'm optimistic about the area of global health and how it's expanding. Uh, it provides an area for more collaboration and networking to make a change in the world and the lives of other people. Uh, what about you, Yaz? Oh, I am also very optimistic about the future of global health and our ability to collaborate with others, share resources, share knowledge, share expertise, uh, and work together. And actually, I want to close uh, and say that as Dr. Mosley in his open session talked about casting a vision for the future and inspiring others to move towards that vision. And I want to share that message with you here today. Leaders present a vision of a better future that engages the heart, your emotions, because you're changing beliefs and values and culture and encourages others to create paths to the destination. Everybody recognizes Martin Luther King Jr. And the point is, what he did was he gave a picture. I have a dream, he talked about. 
that one day little black boys and black girls will join hands, little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of the character. I have a dream today. Okay. Can you see the future? Do you have a picture? He didn't say, I have a strategic plan. <laughs> Reduce racism by like ten percent per year for the next year. Yeah. <laughs> no, can you see the future? Nobody can see the future. How many health programs you have? Reduce maternal mortality by ten percent. Raise immunization levels by fifty percent, or something. What does it mean? Here's a picture, and with that picture, that big crowd of people from many different fields of life had to chart a path for what they would do in their organization. I hope all of us continue to see that vision for the future, a world where everyone has access to the healthcare that we need. So T, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Optimistic Voices. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. Everyone, it's a big, messy world out there, and there is no shortage of need. But we here at Optimistic Voices believe that with radical courage and radical collaboration, together we can change the world. Thank you all for joining us. This episode is brought to you by Helping Children Worldwide's Mission Deployment Program, our teams work side-by-side side with local professionals in leadership, in medical care and health systems management, in education, social work, child welfare, and donor communications and engagement. If you have skills in one or more of these areas, a caring heart, and can imagine the opportunity for mutual growth and working alongside an overseas professional, you might have what it takes. Go to helpingchildrenworldwide.org and click on Get Involved to learn what it takes to become an international mission partner.